Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Actually, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 1 and chapter 6, and then 2 Timothy chapter 4. You say, well, that sounds like we'll be here all night. I say, no, it won't be all night, but uh, we're going to look at several passages. <clears throat> the uh, subject for this evening is uh, the good fight of faith. And the Christian life is very simple. The Christian life is very complex. And both of those statements are true. In the simple terms, the Christian life is living for the Lord. Uh, the commands uh, are written for us in Scripture. Uh, we are to uh, live by faith. We are to believe the Word, and we are to obey. It's, it's, it's very straightforward. It's, it's very simple. But then we all know there's also a, a complexity, too. The Scriptures say we are to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. We are to depend upon the Lord and not depend upon ourselves and our own strength. We are to wait upon the Lord, and we are also to work. And the working does not add to our salvation. It expresses our salvation. It is the Lord who accomplishes all, all our salvation, whether we're talking about our justification, um, our sanctification, our glorification, or even the work of salvation at the cross. It is all accomplished by the Lord, and we accomplish none of it. Salvation is by the Lord's power, not our power. The Christian life is not simply about being active or passive. It involves both of those things. We passively receive the salvation of the Lord by faith. We actively work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that our God is never passive, but He is at work in us, both to will and to do according to His purposes. So all of this is complex. Very simple and yet complex. And yet we understand it's all of God. It's all for His glory. It's none of us, none by us. We live and obey by faith. We depend upon the Lord for wisdom, strength, and power, His wisdom, strength, and power. Complex and yet very simple. Even a child can understand. And we open our Bibles and we find that salvation is of the Lord. The whole of our salvation is of the Lord. It's all of Him. When we stand in heaven and we stand before the Lord, we're going to stand before Him and we're going to say, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of your love for me. I'm here because of your work on my behalf. I'm here because of the salvation that you secured for me. I'm here because of Jesus Christ. I'm here because of you. At the same time, the Christian life is about living in obedience to the Lord. And we see that part of our life as well. It is, a, it is a fight. It is a battle for our faith. And so we can, on one hand, speak of the Christian life as being the working of God, fully, completely His. On another part, we can talk about the importance of doing what we were singing about this evening. Those were great hymns that we were singing this evening and, and to the point, well, to the point of we're engaged in a battle. We are engaged in this good fight. We are to fight for our faith. We are to stand firm in the faith. 
And we are called uh, to pursue what God has secured for us. And the reason why I'm taking up the subject of fighting the good f- fight is because in this morning's message, uh, we talked about uh, Jesus Christ, the Son, speaking to the Father. And uh, he speaks in, in terms of, of things that we cannot perceive, but things we know to be true. And what he basically is saying is, I'm the one who is keeping and maintaining. I am keeping and maintaining the standing of these disciples and of all believers. That's what I'm doing. And furthermore, I am guarding. And he uses the word guarding, which gives the idea that he not only is maintaining, but he is protecting those that he maintains from the evil one and from evil. And this is an most important part of our salvation to see because it gives us really the assurance of salvation. I've said many times, the Lord does not want us to live in doubt. The Lord doesn't want us to say, I hope that I can live my Christian life in such a way that I make it to heaven. That's not how the Bible speaks about our relationship with God or our, our eternal salvation. The Lord wants us to say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. My confidence is in Christ. My confidence is in God. And I know that Jesus Christ, when he's looking at these disciples and then looking through them at us, he's saying, these need to be maintained. These need to be kept. And they need to be protected. Because they're all going to be brought to glory. And when you see the Son and the Father having a conversation about our well-being, one of the things that happens is you go, oh, this is very good. This, this means I am, I am secure. But the response to that is not to say, oh, I am secure, so I'm going to sit back and, and just do nothing. Because I know that God's going to take care of everything, so I don't have to do a thing. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to listen to people talk about it. I just know that I'm saved, believe in Jesus, I go to heaven, and all is well. But one of the things that God does to us when he saves us is he changes our hearts, and he gives us a heart for him. So there's, we're inwardly compelled to live the Christian life. And we're in, inwardly compelled to live for him. And there's, there's this driving force in us. But at the same time, Scripture says, you need to fight for your faith. This doesn't mean we need to fight with other people. It, but he speaks of, of the, the Christian as, as a Christian soldier putting on Christian armor to walk through this life where there is the enemy. And the primary enemy in this life is Satan himself. The, the adversary, the one who tempts us, the one who deceives us, the one who misleads us, the one who, who attacks the authority of Scripture and says that God has not said what God has said, and God will not do what God said that he will do. It is Satan who does all of those things. The main enemy that we have is not mankind, but rather the prince of, of darkness. He, he is our adversary, the adversary of the devil who walks about seeking whom he may devour. So it's very clear for us to see that, that yes, I have the assurance of heaven. Yes, I have the protection of God upon me. Yes, I have the assurance 
that I will stand in the presence of God. And now I'm engaged in this life, which is a, a fight for my faith. And that might be perceived as when you're talking about that, you may say, well, this is, on one hand you're saying we're secure, on another thing you're saying we need to fight for our faith. And on another, one hand you're saying all is well, and the other is like, you know, live as if you're fighting to, to reach the, the victorious position of being in Christ and with Christ. But the scriptures speak of both. So I say the assurance that we have is, is really the, the principle that is most important for our hearts. And then as we live the Christian life, we need to recognize the importance of standing firm, of, of standing for the faith, of, of, of living for Jesus Christ, of, of, of ministry, giving the gospel for Jesus Christ. All those things are most important for us to see. And uh, Jerry Bridges, if, if he were her, here, one of the things that he loved to talk about was the pursuit. In fact, his, the first book that he wrote that was the most influential of all the books that he um, has written is the pursuit, of, the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of godliness. It's because he said it's, you know, a lot of Christians had the idea that, you know, you, you know, um, uh, let go and let God, as the expression was. You just said, so once you become a Christian, you just let go of everything, you know, and stop doing everything, and just let go and let God. And and uh, there is a sense in which we understand what let go and let God means. At the, in another sense, he's saying that the Christian life is a disciplined life. It's a battle. It's a struggle. It's the pursuit. It's the pursuit of holiness. And it's the pursuit of being devoted to God in all of life. And that's the struggle, because sin is a besetting influence for all of us. And we have the seed of every sin in our hearts, therefore the opportunity for Satan to tempt us with sin is before us all the time. And uh, unfortunately, we're never surprised when Christians sin. We're never surprised at all because of the besetting influences that are about us. I'm not trying to encourage sinful behavior, I'm just saying it's not surprising that we as Christians sin. What's surprising is that any of us live for God. What's surprising is that any of us will make it to heaven. That's the, the, the startling thing when we look at, at life here upon the earth. So on one hand, we say I have great assurance. On another hand, we say I have a great battle before me. Both of those are appropriate ways of looking at the Christian life. If you're not fighting for your faith, you're not doing the right thing. If you're not assured of your faith, you're not doing the right thing. And both of those are true. So I want to give you three passages of Scripture tonight. And the connection to all of these passages of Scripture is the fight of faith. And the first is when Paul is writing to Timothy in all of these. So it's in, as I said, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 6 and then 2 Timothy chapter 4. But look at this first statement in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 18 and through 20. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. You may fight the good fight. Wage the good warfare. Having faith and a good conscience, 
which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of which are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This whole passage is a, a text that is written by Paul, the seasoned servant of God, to Timothy, the new beginner. And Timothy is engaged in the ministry, but he is a young man. Paul is speaking to him and giving him counsel and advice, which is, is needful for all of us to hear. So he gives a, a charge to him, and, and really in the, the context of this, you look back in, in verses um, 3 through 5, he begins by saying, I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in, in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and from sincere faith. And what he's talking about is, you know, Timothy, you're there, and, and what you, you need to be doing is remaining faithful to the faith. And to be remaining faithful to the faith is being remaining to the substance of the faith, which is the Word of God. So there's always a tendency for people to talk about other things like fables and genealogies and, and to engage in great disputes and conversations regarding all these things. But these are powerless to produce godly edification. So it's as if he's saying, stay the course. Stay the course. And as he's going to come at the end of this, he's going to say preach the Word of God, but stay the course in terms of, of the ministry. And the, the ministry of a faith system is a truth system because your faith is in the truth. So if our relationship with God is by faith and we're going to engage in this battle, then what we do is we tell the truth by which people come to faith. And this truth must be powerful. It can't just be truth that is interesting. And sometimes people go off in fables and stories and genealogies and all kinds of things, which they might think would be very interesting, would draw people to faith, but it's powerless to do so. So he's talking to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, you, you have to stay tr true to the truth. And one of the things that's interesting is this has been the battle in the church throughout all the centuries, is remaining faithful to God's word being faithful to the truth. That's our challenge. But it's a challenge that everyone has faced. And so Paul says, I charge you and commit you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, and by them that you may wage the good warfare. You're, you're engaged in a battle, and it's the battle of truth. But notice how he says this. Having faith and a good conscience. Having faith and a good conscience. The two aspects that he mentions here is that your faith is to be strengthened. And when he mentions the faith, it's to be a sincere faith. It's to be the purity of faith. Make sure, Timothy, as you're engaged in this ministry, and as you have been charged, that by them you may, and you wage a good warfare, you, you have in engaging this warfare a solid faith in the Word of God. Our faith is in God's Word. Our faith is in God's truth. And it's a battle to hold on to that. People want to hear about other things. People want to hear things that make them feel good. 
People want to hear stories. They want to hear all kinds of things. And people, there's some eloquent storytellers that are out there that are very interesting and they make tears stream down your face and they can make you smile, they can make you laugh. But it, it's not edifying. What is edifying is God's Word and God's truth. And so he says, make sure you are standing and teaching with a sincere faith, with your faith fixed upon the Word of God. Furthermore, he mentions this good conscience. Faith and a good conscience. I think Luther's statement um, when he was on trial, and he talked about the conscience. And one of the things that he said about the conscience is, is uh, it has been misunderstood because it's like... Um, People who have heard Luther make this statement have often said that, you know, we are guided by our conscience and our own understanding of what is good and bad. And and here Luther, this one man, because of his conscience and because of his understanding of what is true and not true, stood up to the whole uh, Roman Catholic Church and engaged in this, uh, this, what now we understand to be this great reformation. But what Luther said is, my conscience is bound by the word of God. My conscience is bound by the word of God. And when he was asked to deny, he said, it is not wise to deny my conscience. But he wasn't saying it wasn't just a conscience that is just Luther and what Luther thinks and Luther's ideas and Luther added things to the Bible and Luther did all these kinds of things that oftentimes people will say. But what Luther's saying is, you know, my conscience is bound to the Word of God. And when the Bible says this is true, that's where my heart says this is true. My conscience says this is true. And when the Word of God says this is wrong, then my conscience is bound to the Word of God. And, And a good conscience, our conscience can be trained. And our conscience can be trained in a... A false way, it can be trained in a true way, but it is to be bound by the Word of God. And so when he mentions faith and a good conscience, in both of those instances, he's talking about the f- how our faith is fixed upon the Word of God. Our faith is believing what God has said. Our conscience is agreeing with what God has said. And in both this fight the good fight, this is not fighting with, with people. This is not Paul and doing what the, during the time of, not Paul, but what the Crusaders did, where they took up the sword in order to advance Christianity. This is not the good fight. The good fight is to stand firmly for the truth of God's word. And this is a battle. And to stand for salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, and to stand for the forgiveness of our sins through the cross of Jesus Christ alone, and to stand for the truth of God's Word, not genealogies, he mentions other things and mindless things, that fables and things that people would talk about, but to be guided in our faith in the Word of God to stand for that. It's very interesting when you think about that because the challenge to the church throughout the centuries has always been simply that, to stand firm for the faith. 
And if you read church history, and you should read church history, but church history is a story of failure, and the failures are always a departure from the Word of God. They're always a departure from the Word of God. And you can see it in every century. You can see it in every, in every church. You can see it in every school. You can see it in all the denominations. You see it everywhere. And when you look and you say, what, what were the, the great Christian schools in America? Well, the great Christian schools began with Harvard. Great Christian institution. And as I mentioned, in order to get into Harvard, you had to pass a Greek, Latin, and Hebrew proficiency test. Which means you had to know all three of those languages to start going to Harvard. That's to start going to college. I don't know very many college students who would measure up to that kind of a standard. But to get into Harvard... You had to pass a proficiency test, and then they trained you for the ministry because Harvard was to train ministers for ministry. That's what the school was started for. But Harvard departed from the faith. When Harvard departed from the faith, you have the starting of another great Christian school, and that's Yale. And Yale was a Christian school designed to teach Christian ministers and train Christian ministers for the gospel ministry. Same standards for Harvard. It was the school that was designed for the gospel ministry. And when Yale started to go a different way, then you have the starting of another great Christian school, and that's Princeton. And Princeton probably is the greatest of those three schools and probably lasted the longest because of some of the great individuals uh, that served on the faculty and on in the seminary of Princeton Seminary. But you look at all of these schools and and many other Christian schools, many of the schools that we're familiar with today and many of them have the great sports teams and we're probably more familiar with their sports teams than we are with anything else about their history. But many of them are started as Christian schools designed to, to further the gospel message and further the cause of Christ. What's happened to them? Well, there's been a departure from the faith. And sometimes the departure came in terms of church conflict. Sometimes it came in in big issues. And sometimes it was just a steady departure away from teaching the Word of God until finally you have a faculty that doesn't even know the Lord at all. And the churches are the same. You know, this past year, Will and I had opportunity to go to Germany and and uh, in Switzerland, and we walked into some magnificent churches that are really just, the buildings are very nice, and they're just dead. There's, there's nothing going on. They're beautiful buildings, and unfortunately, nobody goes to them. There are some exceptions. There was a beautiful building in Berlin, and uh, there was a, a German Protestant service that took place, and we heard it was pretty good, but we didn't know German, so we were not able to understand what was going on in the church. But we heard there's a service that goes on there, but it's, you know, I guarantee you they were not filling that church up, but it's a magnificent church. And you look at all these things and you say, what, is, what has happened to these? And I said, there's a departure from the faith. Departure from the simplicity of God's Word. Because it's a battle, and it's a battle that we are to uphold. And, and I like to say, our responsibility is to uphold the truth of God and to uphold the Word of God, and to be faithful to the Word of God, as if it would fall to the ground if we didn't uphold it. And that's very important for us in any church. And I say, I've said before and I'll say it again, the day will come when false doctrine is taught from the pulpit of Hillcrest Bible Church. And probably they'll change the name of, you know, Hillcrest Bible Church to something else. 
because they don't want the Bible in the name. They don't want to be associated with the church, so they'll call it something else. But you say, well, no, that won't happen here. I said, well, that's what they said at Harvard, and that's what they said at Yale, and that's what they said at Princeton. But if you stop standing for the truth, there's this natural tendency to go from a, a, a faith-based school or church to being simply another organization. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, stand firm that you're in, you're in a battle. You're in a good fight. And that good fight involves your faith. That good fall involves keeping the faith and keeping the faith with a good conscience. And your conscience aligned with the Word of God. So you say, this is the truth. Then he gives some examples of those who didn't do that. Some blasphemers. And these uh, blasphemers, I'd like to know the full story of the blasphemers. And I'd like to know what happened to them. And I hope one day we meet them in heaven because they were corrected and turned their lives around and got straightened around. I hope that's certainly the case. But clearly, these are individuals who were not standing for the faith even at this time. Doing something other than the faith and the truth. And Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Stay with the faith. Fight to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Fight to uphold the Word of God. That's the fight. Not against others. The fight is to uphold the truth in our world even today. Well, look at the end of 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verses 11 through 16... Again, Paul is still speaking to Timothy. He says, But you, O man of God, flee these things. He's talking about the things that were mentioned previously, the love of money. He's talking about uh, walking according to the things of, of this world and strife and other things. You, O man of God, flee these things and pursue. So Once again, this is being active as a Christian. Fleeing these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, which is devotion to God, Faith, which is believing in the truth. Love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. He says, keep this commandment. He's speaking of the whole of God's word and the whole of his truth, not some specific commandment, most take this to be, in, in general, keeping the whole of God's Word. And once again, he says, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. Eternal life is not something that you will have. It's something that you have now. Hold on to it. That's what he's saying. You hold on to the life that you have. You know, if you look at, at John chapter 3, I have uh, students at school mention, uh, uh, memorize John 3, verse 36. And uh, one of the mistakes they all make is uh, he who believes in the Son shall have 
They all want to put that in the future. It's not what it says. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. When you have the life of God, and you have the spiritual life of God in your life, you have eternal life now. You have it. It's not something you will. It says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God and uh, abides on him. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. But you have eternal life. And he says, hold on to that. That's a fight. To hold on to the life that you have in Jesus Christ. How do you hold on to life? How do you hold on to eternal life? And the answer is, once again, that you're holding on to what the Word of God says. I go back to this verse and it says, He who believes has everlasting life. Hold on to that. And someone says, you don't have life. I say, I do have life. And I hold on to that because I believe in the promises. Once again, we're driven to the Word of God and to the truth of God's Word and being faithful with a clear conscience and holding on to what we have. Holding on what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world will say to you, you don't have it. And one of the problems with all the departures that have taken place in American history and even in church history is that people stop reading the Bible and stop knowing the truth and they don't know what it is that they believe. And when you don't know what you believe, you can believe anything. So standing for the truth is the most important part of, of, the, of the Christian life and, and that's what we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ do. So he says, flee. And pursue. Those are commands. They're active commands. You're to keep on doing these things. And fight the good fight. So here we are again. Call to action. There's certain things we say, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. And there's certain things I say, I'm pursuing these things. This is what I pursue. He said we should have a list of things that we pursue. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Those are the things of God. And we're to pursue the things of God. We don't sit back and say, well, you know, if God's going to take me to glory, if he said to the Father, he's going to keep me, and furthermore, he's going to protect me, and furthermore, he is going to glorify me, I'm good to go. He says, no, that's, not, that's, that's, that's the assurance that you have. That's the attitude that you have knowing that. But God also changes our hearts and gives us the desire to pursue him. And so we pursue him. And how do we pursue him? Being true to the faith with a clear conscience. Seeking to be fighting to uphold his truth. So when he talks about the faith, he'll talk about false doctrine. When he talks about the faith, he'll talk about laying hold of eternal life. Well, if I have eternal life, why do I have to lay hold of that? And the answer is because that's what the Christian life is all about. You lay hold of what God gives to you. You say, but I can't see eternal life. It's easy if I could lay hold of something that I can, I can lay hold of this Bible. I can hold it in my hand and I can cling to this Bible. How do I cling to eternal life? And I say, through the promises. Never let someone take the promise from you. Fight for the promises of God. Fight for the Word of God. Fight to hold on to the truth of God. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. I have that everlasting life. Why? Because God said so. And he's given it to me to live for him. So this fight involves keeping the faith. It involves keeping a conscience that is bound by the word of God. It's about keeping in, in, in 
walking in obedience to the Lord with putting off and putting on and, and laying hold of this life that God has given to us. It's a battle. It's a fight. But let me tell you how it ends for the Apostle Paul because look at 2 Timothy. You're very familiar with this passage of Scripture, but look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. By the way, this is, these are the last words of the Apostle Paul, humanly speaking. 2 Timothy was the last epistle that he wrote. And... Um, once again, he, he charges uh, Timothy. If you look at this passage, it's, it starts going back in the text. And you go back to chapter 3, and uh, we have the all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture has the breath of God upon it, and it's profitable. You know, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. And so, the apostle, so to, to emphasize that, the importance of that, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is, likes to make these charges, and he likes to make a charge with, with great dignity and authority. So he says, I'm going to tell you what you need to do, but I want you to know who the witnesses are of this charge that I'm making to you. And that is, it is the Father and it is the Son. I'm charging you before God himself. Charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and, and king, his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the logos. Preach the very truth of God. In the mind of God, in the mouth of God, in the person of Jesus Christ, and in Scripture. In the mind of God, in the mouth of God, in the person of Jesus Christ, and in, this, in the pages of Scripture. This is the very Word of God. His truth. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and, become, and, and turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And all those are commands. Be attentive. We were singing a song that was uh, one of the hymns that was talking about being attentive to the things that are taking place. It means uh, pursuing a course with a calm and steady aim. Pursuing a course with a, a calm and steady aim. My aim is, your aim is, to be faithful to the Word of God. To be according to the truth of God's Word. Do we ever reach that? I don't know. Jesus Christ is the only one who was and is the Word of God perfectly. But that's our goal, is to be faithful to the Word of God. And that's what he's saying. Be sober. Be attentive. Be pursuing a course with a, a calm and steady aim. And then he says, the next command, suffer evil. Suffer hardship. Do until it's done the work of an evangelist. Fulfill, make full your ministry. Those are four commands that are given here in this text. You look at this and you say, well, this, he's very serious about this, this ministry, but he's saying, be sober, suffer evil, do, fulfill. I'm telling you in front of God as my witness that these are the things that you are to do in the work of the ministry. But then he says this, and notice all the I statements. A lot of times we like to draw attention to the I statements when we're speaking about God, the I will statements. When God says, I will, that means it's done. It's a certain and absolute truth. But notice the Apostle Paul Speaking of these I will statements in this, in this passage. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he's talking about giving, um, he, he's not afraid of, of the fact that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 1, and who will judge the living and the dead, he is the judge. He says, when I see the judge, the righteous judge will give me on that day this crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Be faithful. Stand firm. Stand for the truth of God. And he's saying, that's the challenge. The Apostle Paul, I said, I've done this. I think it's remarkable. I I think of the Apostle Paul and his ministry, and I think of all the times that he suffered, and all the times that he endured difficulties. And if anyone suffered uh, a great deal, it's the Apostle Paul. It was like every time it seemed like he went to some place and gave the gospel, they were always beating him up or trying to kill him, or maybe even at times succeeding in killing him. But it, it just, they were, it, it's, it's a, a great battle that he is fighting with reference to, to the truth. But he says, I know my life is coming to an end. I fought the good fight. I have stood firm. He doesn't say here in this passage, I've come to the end and I know that the God who gives me assurance is taking me to glory. He's speaking about what he has done. He's talking about the significance of this fight. That's the complexity of the, the, of the Christian life, knowing that we have assurance of all that God is going to accomplish in us, which therefore causes us to stand firm in this life for him. And you take both of those and put it together and that's called the Christian life. But you have to put both of them together. Great assurance with the good fight, standing for the truth. And the Apostle Paul can say, I'm coming to the end. I know my departure is at hand. Perhaps he knew that he was going to be judged. Perhaps he knew that he was going to die. But he says, I know that I've come to the end. So this is the charge that I give you. You engage in this good fight. So isn't it interesting? We can talk about the Christian life in terms of all that God does for us. In fact, when we get to heaven, it will be to the glory of God. And yet the Apostle Paul can say, there's a great fight that is before us. The fight of faith, the fight of being obedient to God, the fight of living for the Lord, the the fight, and it's a battle. If you live the Christian life, you're engaged in a battle. If you live the Christian life, you know what it is to be faithful. You also know what it is to be a failure. We all know. It's a battle. It's a battle to be a Christian. And in my heart, I have this great assurance when I think of all that God is doing and what Jesus Christ is doing and how he is maintaining me and keeping me and leading me to glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I love that statement. Christ in me, the hope of glory. What is my hope of glory? Christ in me. It's Christ that is my hope of glory. Now I'm engaged in a battle. And say, stand firm in the faith. Be obedient to God. Be careful to abide by His truth. Lay hold of eternal life. This is the challenge that we have in this life. So the Christian life is passive and active. At the same time. Passively receiving from God, actively pursuing God. And it's the right way to live.
And it's not a conflict of one or the other, it's both and. And that's the complexity of the Christian life, but in many ways we say it is complex, but oh so simple. I need to walk with the Lord. I need to depend upon Him. I need to be faithful to Him day by day. The Christian life is a struggle for each one of us. When we fail and we confess our sins and we walk with Him and it's a struggle and it's a battle, the whole of the life is a battle. It was never intended for the Christian life to be easy. It's secure. It's not easy. It's a good fight. And we look at a passage like this and we say, well, God, help me. As we think of our own hearts and say, God, help me to be faithful. God, help me to walk according to the truth. God, help me to live my life with a heart that seeks after God, with a conscience that is bound by the Word of God, seeking God's truth, upholding God's truth, laying a hold of that which He has secured for me. That's the great hope that we have. It's wonderful to be a Christian. It's wonderful to engage in the, in the good fight of faith as one who is destined, Christ in me, the hope of glory, one who has the hope of glory before us. So we are sure, and we are engaged in the battle to the glory of God. May God help us. Let us bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have secured our salvation for us. We're thankful that Jesus Christ is our hope. We're thankful that we don't hope in our own hearts. We don't hope in our own ability. We don't hope in our own wisdom. That our hope is not fixed upon us, but our hope is fixed upon you, Father, and upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you will encourage our hearts, because as we go forth, with this great hope of Christ in us, the hope of glory, we engage in life in a battle for our faith. Strengthen our hearts. And when we fail and when we fall into sin, forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and lead us in the pathway of truth and cause us to follow after you. Cause us by your, as your people to uphold the truth and be faithful to the gospel message and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and faithful to your word. And may we stand by Scripture alone. But Lord, we pray for your hand to be upon us and for your strength to be with us. We pray that as we, as we live the Christian life, we will live because you are at work in us, both the will and to do according to your purposes. So help us to be faithful to you. Help us to engage in the good fight. May your hand be upon us and your strength be for us. And may your presence be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.